This is a personal one for me is just being committed to continuous improvement, challenging the status quo. I just think that the minute you think you've arrived and you've figured it out is the minute you become stale and start failing. I don't think that everything should always be changed, but I think you should discuss it and look at it and validate, okay, we're good. Reputation is everything. We've all heard it and we all believe it. Be it building and monitoring your online reputation or measuring your resident satisfaction in real time, we all know how important that is. The truth is we spend too much time asking for reviews, responding to reviews, surveying our residents and analyzing those surveys. This is all important, but there needs to be an easier way to manage it all. And in student housing, sometimes there just needs to be an automatic way of managing it, like during turn or for move-in day. Well, there is one platform out there that does just that. It's called Opinion. Opinion integrates with your property management software to automatically ask residents for reviews so you can get real-time feedback. It also works to generate more positive online reviews and ratings completely in the background without you ever having to push out an email or a text message. You can build surveys that are automatically sent out based on certain events within a tenant's lease cycle or an ad hoc community-wide survey. And it's working behind the scenes to analyze all of that feedback and present it to you in a way that you can quickly understand your property's resident satisfaction level and get insight into your team's performance. Listen, there are a lot of platforms and applications that can help you monitor and respond to your online reputation. Some will even help you generate more reviews, but Opinion allows you to do it hands-free and brings you the feedback you need in order to take meaningful action. So let Opinion do the heavy lifting and give your team more time to focus on your tenants. For more information, click on the link in the show notes or go to Opinion, which is spelled with three I's, O-P-I-N-I-I-O-N.com forward slash S-H-I. Again, that's opinion.com forward slash SHI. Go there today and get a special promotion for our audience members. Hello and welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. I'm also the CEO and founder of Student Housing Insight. That's correct. Student Housing Insight is not only a podcast, but we're a platform for off-campus student housing professionals to connect, network, and learn. You can find out more information at studenthousinginsight.com. And by the time this episode comes out, we will be premiering our job board. It's actually in beta right now, so it may not be out as soon as this episode comes out, but it's coming So if you are a manager or an owner operator within student housing and you're looking to fill positions, we will have that job board available for you to post those openings. And then also, if you're a student housing professional and you're looking for a new job, that is a free resource that will be available to you at the website. So go check that out. Again, studenthousinginsight.com. Well, guys, in this episode, we have another installment of our Profiles in Student Housing series, and I'm interviewing Asset Living's Division President, Stacey Lukoki. 
She leads the student housing division at Asset Living, which I've got to say to those folks, you're having a stellar year. Give yourself a pat on the back. Last year was great, but you guys are outperforming last year's numbers. So that is something that you guys should be really, really proud of. But getting back to, to Stacy, you know, in each of these profile interviews, I, I love hearing the story of how these leaders got into student housing. And Stacy's story is no different. I'll let her tell it because she does it a lot better than I can. But one thing that that really just kind of stood out, she was preparing to become a, a court stenographer. So if you don't know what that is, it's, you know, the person in the court that's typing on that little typewriter looking thing. She was recording the testimony. And as she was doing that, it just really revealed something very special about her own character. And it ended up just changing all of her career plans. I've been in that situation. I'm sure many of you have. You come across something and you're like, why am I doing this? If I'm reacting this way to something, am I supposed to be here? <laughs> and uh, so she talks a little bit about that experience. And and really, with that being said, it's probably just best that we go into the interview. So let's get to my interview with Stacy Lukoki from Asset Living. Stacy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you today. I'm excited to finally have you on the podcast. I feel like our schedules have been just all over the place, both yours and mine. And it's been really tough to to try to get together, but I'm excited to finally have you on. I know, me too. I know when in the student housing space, you know, we're road warriors. So that definitely has impacted our ability to align, but I'm happy that it that it worked out today. Well, for those that, that don't know Stacy Lukoki, you are the division president, is that correct? That's correct. I'm responsible for all of the operational properties on the student side, as well as the new development properties, and then all of the teams, that the resources that support our, our team's marketing and training also report to me, so the national footprint for the student side of asset. Yeah, for those of us that have been in the student housing industry, you know, we only know asset as <laughs> student housing. And so, you know, with all the growth that you guys have had, you know, on the conventional side and then thinking about there's a whole other division for that now. <laughs> it's, it's I know we're crazy. approaching 300,000 units. So it's been awesome to be a part of for sure. Well, hey, I, I want to, you know, talk about how you got involved with with asset when you came on board and the growth that you've seen. But let's just kind of go back to the beginning and, and talk about, you know, your origin story, where you grew up and kind of how that all intersected with student housing. Yeah, so I was born in Edinburgh, Texas, so in the Rio Grande Valley, but I grew up in Harlingen, about 15 minutes north of Matamoros, for those that don't know where that is. Interestingly enough, because of how close we were to the Mexico border, I actually spoke Spanish before I spoke English. So that's a fun fact. I know. So when I went to kindergarten, I was, you know, kind of the English as a second language, even though it wasn't my direct family. We had someone that lived with us from Matamoros that took care of me until I went to school. And so she spoke to me in Spanish. And that's what I ended up learning as my first language. But that's where I grew up in Harlingen, Texas. And when I, it was time to decide where to go to school, I decided that I wanted to be a court reporter. So a stenographer, you know, the person in the courtroom that takes everything down. 
down. I moved to San Antonio and I went to a court reporting institute there. And um, a lot of people don't know that that type of education takes, you know, four plus years. It's a very difficult area of study. And it's Texas is one of the hardest states to get accredited in. But I'm going to park it right there for just a second, Stacey, yeah. because I always see the, stenog- the stenographers and the little typewriter only has like half the keys. <laughs> yeah. You got to explain that to me. Yeah. It's kind of the concept is maybe like shorthand. So like, you know, you might hear in a courtroom beyond a reasonable doubt. And so on the little machine, you would type bard, like for instance, beyond a reasonable doubt. And you just know, you learn to read that yeah. bard is beyond a reasonable doubt. So there's a lot of phrases that you'll hear in the legal setting. And so you learn how to type basically, and it's, it's called writing. It's not typing, but in shorthand. And so the hardest part about it is getting your speed. Like once you learn the language and how to write it, you have to get up to 250 words a minute. And so that's pretty fast. And so when you're tested at the state level, that's what they're looking for you to be able to write. I mean, without pauses and interruptions. So that's really what takes the longest. But to kind of bring it back around to the industry here, because how do you tie that with, you know, multifamily? Yeah. While I was putting myself through school, I was leased apartments in the conventional side on the multifamily side. And so I really loved it. And I did that for three, four years while I was going to school. And I passed up promotions just because I needed to be able to focus on my studies, you know, to support my education, but also not take on more responsibilities so that my end goal was to be a stenographer. So you do your internship at the very end, you know, once you reach your 250 words a minute, you have to do 40 hours with an official court reporter, which is that's the standard one you see with a judge in the courtroom. And then you have to do 40 hours freelancing. And that's when you get called for a deposition offsite somewhere that's a freelance reporter. So I was in the process of doing my internship with an official reporter. And my first case was a drive-by shooting of a four-year-old little boy. Oh gosh. So I know it was really tough. So I was shattering the the court reporter and taking it all down and the mom and that he didn't survive the drive by shooting. So the mom gets up on the stand and is telling the story and he was playing behind the curtains in the living room. And then the grandmother gets up. And so you're are supposed to be a neutral party in there because you, you can influence influence the jury. And so you're neutral. And I had tears rolling down my face oh, and I wasn't wow. even a parent yet at this time. I was I, I knew I was going to marry my husband, but we, we were, you know, not at that stage yet. And so at break, she pulled me aside. She said, what are you doing? You know, and I said, I don't know. Like in school, you learn to think about your vacation, your grocery list and stuff. Your mind just took it down. But for some reason in the real setting, I wasn't able to do that It's because it was real people and real testimony. So I went home that night and I explained to my suit would be my husband. I said, you know, I'm not sure that I can do this. Like I've gone to school for all of this and, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to do this. And you know, he's very wise and, you know, a, a great person and said, then don't, what, what do you want to do? I said, well, I have all these student loans, you know, I need to pay back and it's for this. Yeah. And he said, that's not what you need to worry about. You need to do something that makes you happy. And I was like, yeah. I just, I love leasing apartments. I love it. I love finding a home. Like a home is one of the most important things in someone's life. And I just love that. And he's like, then go do that. And so I did, I just, I kind of hung it up and I just chalked it up to, I had some great experiences, you know, and I learned a lot in school, but I just said, okay, I'm ready to take on the promotions. 
And so I was on the conventional side of the space. And so I did, I just became a leasing manager an assistant manager an on-site manager, and then, you know, moved up to the corporate office. So that's, you know, I'm going to kind of, you know, compact the story there, but I ended up holding every position on site before I ended up at the corporate office in regional manager type roles. Gotcha. So if I remember correctly, I don't think asset was your first entree into student housing, right? No. So I actually worked for JPI. I don't know if you recall JPI. I was the management company before Graystar acquired um, JPI. So I was there 15 years. And so during my time there, I moved up to the corporate office and I was in a regional manager position on the multifamily side and our student space was growing. And so they asked me to move over and join the student team. And so I fell in love with it immediately. I loved the fast paced intensity of it. You know, back then we did have more of a window. We did, it was in 2000 when I moved over to the student side as a regional. And, you know, we did have more breaks, but still I, I just liked the demographic and serving that the student population and just, just again, the fast paced intensity of it. So then Graystar acquired us in 2008. And so I stayed on. And at that time, I was already overseeing the national footprint at JPI. So I moved up to being the managing director at JPI overseeing all the student properties. And then Graystar acquired us in 2008. And so I stayed on for 18 months to onboard the clients and make sure that everything merged, but um, was asked to go start Grand Campus Living, which was the student housing arm of Lincoln. And so Joanne Blaylock and I, she was the president of the management company at JPI. We left to go start Grand Campus. I was there for five years. And while I was at Grand Campus, I served as the chair and the vice chair for the NAA Student Housing Committee. And so while I did that, and you know, that was a great networking opportunity, met a lot of people. And one of those people was Ryan McGrath, our current CEO. He and I sat on a panel together and you just started connecting and talking. And next thing I know, he's saying, you need to come join Asset. And so I have a very loyal spirit. So it, it, you know, he'll tell you, you it felt like it took him 10 years. It, it took him about two. I, you know, I'm not going to lie, but um, I finally said, you know what, that's where I need to be. And I joined Asset Living in 2015. So I've been here coming up on the math, I believe it's nine years. Yeah. So I joined Asset as an SVP. That was when Julie was running students. So I was one of her SVPs on the team and oversaw, you know, big book of business until I moved into this seat about three, three and a half years ago. I was actually kind of preparing for this. I going back to listen to the one that I did with Julie. She was actually the first profiles in student housing that we did. It was also our hundredth episode. You know, she actually mentioned you going into that position at that point in time and kind of how she was handing, you know, things off and yeah. what she was focusing on and, you know, it was one of those things where I kind of like, wait a minute, this was in, you know, 2021. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's amazing that, and, and you know, a lot of that just has to do with the, the pandemic craziness and everything that has been going on the past few years. But yeah, it's, it's amazing that you've been in that position. I think that was probably about the same time Jason Fort moved over to the business development side. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how that has now turned into years already. seems like. I know. Just, 
I know. <laughs> well, you know, we're so appreciative and proud of Julie's legacy. And she definitely, you know, had such a big impact on the foundational building the, the student living side and just creating something great. So it's been fun to take that baton over from her and continue to challenge the process and, and improve and build upon it in a greater way. What does your day-to-day look like? Is it more working with clients? Is it more working with the current talent at yeah. Asset? Or? It's all of that. You know, so you definitely have to focus on the people. We are 100% third party. We don't own one bed space. So our, you know, pun or no pun intended, our only asset is our people. I have to spend time definitely focused on attracting and retaining the talent and developing our talent. And I have five SVPs who help me oversee the operational book of business. So we work really closely together on making sure we're perpetuating a great culture and an evergreen company and career paths and the things that all the people want. But I also spend a lot of my time on the strategic piece and, you know, being a visionary and in the spirit of being an evergreen place for our employees to have longevity and a place that they can call home for a long time. You have to be a visionary and be a strategic thinker. And so I spend a lot of time in that. But without a doubt, the client relationships are a big piece of it and a catalyst for a lot of the travel that I have. It's a very relational business. So making sure that I'm spending time with the clients and that we're partners in this. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got to ask, I got to go back to those GPI days when you're making your switch over to student housing. Like what's kind of the standout event that I'm sure happened at some point in time where you were like, yeah, the student housing thing is way different than conventional. Oh, it was from honestly, probably almost day one when somebody sat down with me and we went through a lease contract and just the fact that, you know, it's like, wait, what? We're getting a term for 12 months. So we're collecting 12 yeah. months of revenue in exchange for 11 and a half months of occupancy. You know, my brain took a little bit to wrap around how you explain that, which, you know, yeah. of course it's easy now, but it's just the whole dynamic of, you know, going to an academic point of view. No offense to my counterparts on the conventional side, but just managing lease expirations is just, I I hate to say this, but easier than, you know, you have one window of opportunity on the student side and then you state your revenue for your client for an entire year. And, you know, the pressure of that window closing exists. And so those were the things that, you know, you have to, and it kind of goes back to what I said in the beginning, the fast paced nature, you got to get in step with that and not lose yeah. step. What's been your favorite so far? New lease ups or acquisitions or just the good old stabilized properties that yeah. don't give any problems? <laughs> That's like asking me to pick like my favorite kid, you know, exactly. because I'm not sure. I think I, I think I want to answer that, you know, in a PC way. I will say being around the new dev team keeps me young. That is a yeah. bright group of aggressive, passionate, go-getter, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed group of people. And so I love being around them and the the creativity that comes around that group is amazing. But I will say my operational teams, that's grit and perseverance and you don't have the shiny new penny. And so watching the the performance that comes out of the operational team. So I love them. It's kind of like I have two kids. I say this. I I love them in the same intensity, but for different reasons. And so, uh, yeah, I can't pick one. I see you as a, as a you know, huge thought leader in this industry because um, I put out a lot of surveys to folks to kind of you know get a reading on what's happening in, in their world. And um, you're always pretty good about, about responding to those. And I really love the answers that I get <laughs> from you on those surveys. So I really just you know, want to kind of ask that question to you about the challenges coming down the road. I mean, you, you guys have got how many properties again? On the student side? Uh, about 220. And you're kind of seeing it from all different 
you know, facets. You've got the you've got the new dev, you know, that's going into a tier one market, and you know, we'll consider it a triple A type property to stuff that you know is in a tier two, tier three market that probably 15, 20 years old, and you know, you guys are having success across the board. What kind of what kind of challenges do you see? And and I I talk about that spectrum of the portfolio that you guys have got because I feel like one end of that spectrum, you probably see a certain set of challenges. And at the other end of the spectrum, you probably see a, a different set of challenges. Yeah. So you know, the last comment you made about, you know, the the older operational properties. So, you know, clearly the aging facilities, the need for renovation, redevelopment, you know, to remain competitive and compliant or competitive with the modern standards that students require, you know, that's obviously a challenge and the market conditions and having the capital available to do that for our clients and our owners to be able to do that, you know, is definitely something that we, you know, it's a challenge to partner with them to make sure that we're growing the rents, you know, even though the physical plant might need addressing so that it can free up capital so that, you know, that they can make those improvements. Um, on the new dev side, and, and really even on the operational side, you know, changes in student enrollment. And the key is to have an operator that lives, and we talked about strategic thinking, that understands the market dynamics, even when you have enrollment shifts that maybe weren't forecasted when a deal was underwritten. There's things that drive enrollment shifts, and you have to have a team that can weather those storms and get more than their market share. The other challenge, we talked a little bit about this, is just attracting and retaining talent. You know, you can't yeah. execute anything without having the right people in place. And so it kind of goes back to what I mentioned about the size of our footprint allows us to show really robust career paths for our employees. And so that does give us an advantage when attracting and retaining the talent, but it's also really pouring into them and developing them not only professionally, but personally. And so we do have a very strong training department that does that. And then we also manage by KPIs. So growing people professionally to where they're becoming business leaders and thought leaders and things like that also just helps within the, the space of retaining and attracting talent. ESG is a big buzzword. I, I wouldn't say it's recent, but it just, it feels still new. Mm -hmm. um, the ESG initiatives are becoming, I wouldn't say a requirement, but you know, something that, that people want to see more of. And so the operational expenses that come along with that can be a challenge. And then just operational expenses in general, the rising cost of insurance and development costs and things like that. So those are some of the challenges that. Do you, talk about ESG for a second. Do you see a lot of clients that may have, because I, you know, I worked for eight years for a small family owned development company. They were merchant developers. We would typically build a property a year and stabilize it. And two, three years later, you know, sell it off. And, you know, I see some of the stuff, some of the requirements from an ESG standpoint and, you know, from a, from an equity standpoint, if, you know, we were to go out and, and get, I'm not going to name them, but, you know, some of the, call them kind of the big three institutional groups that are out there and private equity groups, there's things that they require now in their reporting that that developer I worked for it would just be like, why would we waste our time? We're going to spend more money yeah. <laughs> tracking yeah. this stuff. And, you know, with you guys, because you're serving several of those equity groups, you guys have yeah. already got that built in. Are you seeing some of these mom and pop developers saying, yeah, it's just better I go with a third party group versus trying to do this on my own? 
Yeah, we are definitely seeing seeing that trend and those top institutional clients we, we manage for them. And so the ESG initiatives are more prevalent within those larger groups, but the smaller ownership groups, if that is an initiative that, you know, maybe was a condition of approval for the deal to get done or something like that, then they're wanting someone like us to come in and manage that process. Yeah, I figure that's probably the way I see so much consolidation happen. And yeah, I want to ask that question to you. I mean, you've obviously seen that consolidation happen over your career. You think it's good? You think it's, is it causing any kind of problems for, you know, folks that are kind of like myself where, you know, I was able to kind of set in with one group and for a few years and take on several different positions and then move to another company and continue to do the same. I don't see that happening as much with, certainly with, let's call it the top 10 of the top 25. Do you think that's causing any kind of, not personnel issues necessarily, but is it providing more opportunity or is it is it putting a cap on folks as far as being able to expand their careers? Yeah. You know, it's hard because being the biggest at what we do on the student side, my perspective is really tied to here. And again, it goes back to, we just have such with the big footprint, we have such great opportunity. And, you know, we, while I oversee the student space, you know, the, the mothership is big. And so we do cross pollinate. So I've had people from the student side who are extremely talented go over to the multifamily side of asset because they're very seasoned and can provide support to some of the newer teams that we've acquired. But I don't know if you're speaking to the vertically integrated kind of, I don't know if, if consolidation, if you were speaking to that. Yeah, mainly where we're seeing less and less of the of the mom and pops that are out there, the yeah. you know, the family owned real estate companies and that type of thing. We're seeing as far as, far as from an operation standpoint, they, they mm-hmm. still exist on the development side, right? Yeah. But there's more and more of that. They're just they're relying on third party, and yeah. you know, I see a lot of folks that you know what I love about it is when their property sells after being stabilized they've got a good opportunity to stay with the same, with the same management company. Yeah. Right. I do see in some of the mom and pop, they're unwinding, you know, self-managing just because it takes scale to be a profitable management company. I mean, it's even at 40 and 50 properties, I would say that it's hard to, I mean, maybe it's break even, but you're not seeing the profit margins that you need to really support self-managing. And then it goes back to the talent, smaller portfolios don't create career paths. And so the people are leaving and going to the bigger companies because again, they have the opportunity to grow. So I, I do see the trend of unwinding some of the in-house management at the smaller, smaller shops. So let's talk about advice you may have for some of those site managers that, you know, maybe they've gone through a, a cell, maybe they're only five, six years into their career. Maybe it's yeah. something, you know, we deal with this all the time. Someone came in as a you know community assistant and something open up for them, you know, right around graduation. So maybe it's an assistant manager, bookkeeper type mm-hmm. of position. And, you know, now they've been general manager for a couple of years yeah. and they're thinking, okay, is this something I want to do full time? Is this something I want to continue to, to move forward with? What kind of advice would you have for them if, if that's something they're, they're questioning and want to really understand, well, what's out there in, in student yeah. housing for me over the next five, 10 years? I think expanding your network is really important. It provides valuable insights. So not only within the organization that you're in, but outside the organization, that's how you can have, you know, meaningful conversations about different people's career paths and why they love it. So expanding your network for sure. 
seeking feedback from your peers, your subordinates, your supervisors. Know where you have areas of improvement and know where your strengths are so that you can leverage those when you're having those conversations and seeking opportunities. A big one, this is a personal one for me, is just being committed to continuous improvement, challenging the status quo. I just think that the minute you think you've arrived and you've figured it out is the minute you become stale and start failing. I don't think that everything should always be changed, but I think you should discuss it and look at it and validate, okay, we're good, but just continuous improvement is super important. Know your blind spots. That goes back to the self-awareness. If you don't know your blind spots, then it's going to really be hard to grow personally and professionally. I look for this here um, when thinking about people and who is, you know, the heir apparent for the next open position is taking initiative. People who volunteer for challenging projects and just doing something that's outside of their current role is something that's going to help you elevate your career. Embrace change and be adaptable. The market dynamics and the conditions, whether we're talking about the capital markets or just a shift in, you can be a healthy market one season, and then there can be, you know, a university president that says something that shouldn't be said, and you can, you know, can tank 5,000 students in enrollment. So you need to be able to persevere through those types of challenges. I want to ask a quick question on, on centralization. That's been a big, you know, big buzzword topic. as far as being yeah. able to put together, pull together everything, you know, from a leasing perspective and kind of amplify that process or completely turn that process internally so that, it, you know, I, I know some prop, some small properties right now that aren't even handling the leasing process on site. It's all done, you know, from a central call bank or central yeah. location in student housing. I mean, do you think that's kind of the, the way of the future or do you think that's something that? Not for us. We still believe in just, you know, the on-site team being very engaged and tied to their residents and the the dynamics of their specific market and just accessible. There are parts, I would say maybe we have a hybrid approach and I, I like that. I do see results coming out of, you know, managing delinquency and things like that remotely. I don't think that those things need to be an on-site person that is stationed there. And so we do get some economies to scale by having one person maybe handle the delinquency for four or five sites. And so that, you know, helps our ownership groups with the bottom line. And, and we're seeing a, a really a big impact to reducing delinquency. We have tested it and it just feels like you lose the personal touch with everything being remote. And there's just, it's really hard for us to prove that one central location can really understand the personality and the brand and the identity of a specific community if they haven't lived and breathed it. So I wouldn't say that we don't see benefits in some components of it, but you won't see asset move to a full centralization approach. Some of the corporate pieces are being centralized, but speaking to the property operations, you know, so centralized accounting and centralized technology and things that support the teams. Yes. Well, you know, I want to talk about, we're still kind of here at the beginning of 2024. I want to talk about anything that you guys have got planned that you want to share, both from yourself personally, something that maybe you've got a a goal to do this year, as well as with asset as well, specifically on the student housing side. I don't know if you if you had a chance to read the press release we put out, but I'm just really proud of the season that we we just wrapped up. We pretty much broke records, not only in the industry but within you know against our own year over year performances. So we ended this last season at 
95% and the industry was 93, but our competitive set, you know, our true competitive set who we lease against was 84. So we crushed it, you know, not only against the industry as a whole, but just who our true competitors are and still delivered great rent growth. So the obvious goal to me is just to repeat and even, you know, break another record, which right now we're on track to do. We're ahead of ourselves year over year of the record breaking season and then head of the industry. And again, over 20% ahead of our competitive set heading into this next season. So I'd be remiss if I didn't say focusing on the performance because that is just, that's where it lies for executing the goals for our clients. And as a third party company, that just that has to be the main area. That's what's so crazy about breaking, breaking those records, because I don't want to say you don't have any choice. You guys definitely have choice if you own you know, clients that you take on, but when you think about some of the the companies, you know, that have been involved in student housing where they've kind of controlled everything from, from cradle to grave, right. As far as everything vertically integrated with, you know, development and everything else. And so they really have to, to own it. And there's been some of those portfolios you guys have taken over and you're crushing it better than they were. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that helps us with that is management by fact, you know, when you can show a client, you know, if they have one idea as to the strategy and how to get there and we have a different idea, we have a very robust set of KPIs that we manage by. And when you can show a fact-based compelling argument for trust us, you know, so there is some inherent piece of like, you just have to trust us as you hired us for this. But when you support it with a fact-based approach, it helps clients to align and become more of a partner and, and let go of some of the yeah. things that they were previously responsible for. We have a client dashboard though, that helps us with that. And so when we can show live real data that we are right, that also helps our clients to kind of let go and let us lead and, and do our thing that we're known for. Well, that's fantastic. You know, another thing is uh, we're really working on our white glove offering. And so as you see, you know, the vertically integrated companies really want to start to unwind some of that, but explaining to their lenders that there's a lot of lenders and equity partners that see value in being vertically integrated. But really, the truth is that's not always the best and the overhead expense doesn't necessarily create profit. And so we're really working on expanding our white glove offering so that companies can leverage our technology and our experience and our scale to drive you know, differentiated results. Great. And, and for those that may not know what you mean by that, going back to those examples we talked about earlier of the mom and pop development company that may be doing one, two projects at most, maybe a portfolio of four, going back to that, we don't want to get involved with all this ESG reporting where we have to hire other people. This is where you guys kind of come in and say, okay, what parts do you, do you want to continue to do from a management perspective and, and what parts do you want us to take on? So Yeah. And, you know, and also a part of that is that we don't have an ego here at Asset. Our name doesn't need to be on it. So, you know, there's white glove slash white label. And so there are some, you know, companies that still want to retain their brand and their name. And, you know, you might go to a property and not realize it's managed by Asset because Asset's not on, on anything. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of the white glove, white label. You can still retain your brand and identity and have, be the face of it and would just be the force behind it. I think that's a fantastic approach. There's so many, especially established real estate families that have always said, no one's going to manage it like yourself. But at the same time, going out and trying to replicate what all you guys have done, it's a feat. And the only way it's going to happen is if you have scalability. So you always see me tie it back around to the people. So, you know, the scale allows us to have the people and the people execute the strategy. That's fantastic. Yeah. So 
Any shout outs you want to give to your team? When I came in this morning and pulled how many leases we got overnight, just, you know, keep on going. I, I am very blessed to be surrounded. Truly what I, I know this, a lot of people say this, but I'm just, I'm surrounded by the talent, the best talent in this space. I'm super proud. Between Shop Talk and some of the other things that we're doing, Asset is always taking an active part in what Student Housing Insights doing. I want to thank you for that. And thanks for what you're doing with the, not only with Asset, but just the impact that you guys are making on the industry. I really appreciate that. And the industry is much better for it. And thanks for your leadership. Thank you, Wes. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed our time together this morning and I look forward. I guess I'll see you at Interface here soon. Definitely. We'll see you in April. Let's make sure that we get a, a drink while we're there too. Okay. I'm always up for that. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, big thanks to Stacy for sharing her story as well as her insight in the industry. She's a very, very busy woman and to sit down and for her to give us 30 to 40 minutes I'm just so appreciative. So thank you again, Stacy, for that time. And yeah, looking forward to having more conversation. Wait, well, hey, a couple of quick updates before we go. Shop Talk. If you don't know what Shop Talk is, it is the industry's monthly webinar that we produce here at Student Housing Insight. The next one is on March 14th, and I'll be talking to representatives from both ACC and Graystar about the future of public-private partnerships and on-campus housing. You can register for that by going to shoptalk.info. Again, that's shoptalk.info. And of course, we'll put that link in the show notes as well. Also, if you're going to be attending the Interface Student Housing Conference in Austin this April, we will be holding a live podcast and brunch on the morning of April 24th at the JW Marriott. The JW Marriott is the host hotel, of course. If you own or operate student housing, you are invited to join us for this, but you've Got to have a ticket, and you can get a ticket by going to studenthousinginsight.com forward slash events. Or if you go to our homepage and just click on the events tab, it'll take you there as well. Once you're there, scroll down to the Austin brunch event, and then you can register for tickets there. This is the sixth year that we've done this pre-conference event, and, and it's a ton of fun. Would love for you guys to, to join us for that. Um, I think, is this sixth or seventh? It's a sixth, but it's in year seven because we had, you know, the COVID year that we didn't have the conference. But anyway, please come join us for brunch. Um, after brunch, we'll, we'll go into a live podcast. Um, Stacy will actually be part of that conversation. We'll also have Brandon Smith from Tailwind Group and Laura Formica from Core Spaces. So that's going to be a, a fun, fun discussion. Well, hey, that wraps it up for this episode. Thank you again for listening. And if it brought you any value, please share it with your colleagues they can register for more information, both for Shop Talk at shoptalk.info, as well as studenthousinginsight.com, and they'll get our all of our updates uh, from there as well. Also, want to thank Opinion for being the sponsor of this episode. If you're not currently utilizing any kind of platform or a process to measure your resident satisfaction and to generate positive reviews, or if you're using something and it requires your staff members to ask for positive reviews, which means you're probably losing about 90% of those positive reviews that you could be getting, then get in touch with Opinion. They've got a special discount for the listeners of this podcast. We'll provide a link in the show notes, of course, but it is Opinion, and that's spelled with 
three eyes, O-P-I-N-I-I-O-N.com forward slash S-H-I. Again, thanks for listening. Please share this episode with all of your colleagues, and we'll see you next time.